discover the power of positivity. Identify your gifts. Then plan and execute your passion. And ultimately, thrive exponentially in life. And most importantly, in business. On Sudden Eye Impact. With your host, Lee. The environment could be greater than, greater than. The circumstances that I'm faced with, greater than, greater than. The environment could be greater than, greater than. The circumstances that I'm faced with, greater than. Yes! And your life counts, and enthusiasm definitely makes a difference. Hello, and welcome. You're live on the Sudden Eye Impact Show with your host, Lee, coming to you from the DFW Metroplex. On the Sudden Eye Impact Show, we have fun together, we learn together, and we encourage one another. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics, such as, but not limited to, 100% personal responsibility, accountability, accountability partners, self-concept, consciousness, awareness, becoming the observer, the power of belief the power of thought, the power of expectation, being of service, visionary leadership, belief systems, support systems, the mind, imagination, visualization, worthy realization of ideas, creativity, ingenuity, innovation, relationships, the power of partnership, entrepreneurship, focus, intentionality, and the power of mentorship. On our show, we share concepts, principles, processes, and systems that work you Work when you consistently work them that deliver good and outstanding results. Our show's vision, mission, purpose, and intention is to discuss and deliver simple, basic, fundamental ways to help everyday people experience more fulfillment, satisfaction, enrichment, enjoyment, health, mental health, and overall peace through utilizing your own latent resources that lie dormant within you. The Sudden Eye Impact Show is spiritual, inspirational, and motivational, expressing enlightening, powerful, and electrifying transformational content that anyone can learn and integrate consistently in any area of their life to change their life for the better and keep working at it to change their life for the best. We have a special treat for you today. And after this bio and introduction, the next voice that you will hear will be Miss Peggy McCall. Peggy McCall is the founder and president of Dynamic Destinies, Inc. Peggy McCall is a highly sought-after international and national keynote speaker who has earned the right to charge as much as she desires for any keynote speaking engagement offered that she accepts because she has paid the price being of service. Peggy McCall is a New York Times number one bestseller of Your Destiny Switch. Peggy McCall is a multiple-time award-winning author. Peggy McCall is a multiple-time number one national and international best-selling author. Peggy McCall has authored more than 18 books, with the most recent release being Savvy Wisdom. Peggy McCall is a creative financial success coach, consultant, teacher, trainer, facilitator, and transformational thought leader with more than 45 years of creating relevant personal development content, being a great consistent presence in the personal development industry. Peggy McCall is a giant in the personal development industry. We're talking about the cream de la cream, folks. I'm considering her to be one of the matriarchs in the personal development industry. Peggy McCall is definitely a pioneer and trailblazer who thinks outside of the box in this industry, utilizing vision, uncanny wisdom, the laws of the universe, creativity, innovation, ingenuity, perseverance, persistence, intentionality, and tenacity. Peggy McCall has graced the same speaking platforms with some of the best of the best, and I will name a few. 
Sir Bob Proctor, Mary Morrissey, Wayne Dyer, Jack Canfield, Les Brown, Oscar Award-winning, Emmy Award-winning, Antonio Award-winning, Phil Goldfine, John Asaraf, Sandra Gallagher, and Brian Proctor, to name a few. Peggy McCall has helped pave the way for us all in this way. Peggy McCall had plenty of opportunities to cave in and quit, but Peggy McCall persevered on. Peggy McCall had innumerable opportunities to make excuses and tell herself disempowering stories, but Peggy McCall rejected each of these opportunities and, against all odds, used her own power of choice and made a decision to pass the persistence test by loving herself and being gentle with herself through missteps and adversity and ignoring the five-sensory data appearances and having the focus and fortitude to tell her own self empowering stories during her self-talk, inner conversations, internal dialogue, and auto-suggestions. Understanding that her internal locus of control was more important and far more powerful than her external locus of control. Some examples of what she may have said at different intervals to herself, this too shall pass. It's okay, you will do better next time. Pick yourself back up and press on. The sun will still shine tomorrow. And while going through this process, Peggy McCall tapped into something mind-boggling, something revolutionary, something special, and something unique. Her very own unlimited potential and absolutely nothing, I do mean nothing, no state of mind or material thing in this three-dimensional world is beyond her reach if she truly personally desires it. Some examples of this, Peggy McCall has manifested multiple dream homes, even when she had no money. She has also manifested vacation homes. And the most amazing and astonishing thing is every day in some way, she is teaching others to do similar things or the exact same things through one-on-one and group trainings like Skipping Levels, the Complete Opta Program, Morning Manifestation, Mastermind Groups, the Manifestation Podcast, Facebook Lives, Instagram Lives, Teleseminars, and Keynote Speaking Engagements. And, folks, this is real. I have been on multiple trainings, seen where jobs were lost, businesses went under, and clients wrote best-selling books and turned them into short films and movies. And the rest is history. With no further ado, it brings me great pleasure to have the dubious distinction of welcoming Ms. Peggy McCall to the Sudden Eye Impact Show. Welcome, Peggy. Thank you so much. What an intro. That was great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, before we go off into the uh, interview questions, would you like to uh, take a moment and uh, let everybody know how they can find out more about you, how they can contact you and find out more about your program? Yes, of course. they can. It's easy. They can just go to PeggyMcCall.com, P-E-G-G-Y-M-C-C-O-L-L.com. Awesome. So the first question I would like to ask is for you to tell us about your brand-new book, Savvy Wisdom. Ah, this is my 19th baby. Think of a woman who has 19 little children running around in the world, and (laughs) you love them all, and you hope for the best for them all. Savvy Wisdom is a rather unique book, and it is truly my favorite in my heart. And it's a book that was inspired by my life, and meeting the wonderful Bob Proctor. And it's written as a fiction book, as a story. And it was just released not that long ago. And the responses that I've been getting about this book have been unlike anything I've ever received before. And many people that have read the book have been moved in positive ways. 
many men are writing to me that they have been in tears. And another thing that's been happening with Savvy Wisdom is that it's a book that seems to be going through the entire family. One of my clients who lives in L.A. sent me a text on the weekend, and he said that he had bought the book, Savvy Wisdom, and was going to sit down and read it, and his daughter had taken it, his 14-year-old daughter, and she was glued to it, and he said, you know, do you mind if I have my book back? She was, well, I'm reading it. And so she read it when she finished. She was so ecstatic about the book, Savvy Wisdom, that her mom then read it, and then she read it in one sitting and then finally gave it back to my client so that he could read it. So it's having this really extraordinary impact in the world. Um, the book's called Savvy Wisdom. It's based on a character by the name of Savvy. Have you read it yet? I haven't. You haven't? Okay. Well, when you read it, you're going to want to call me back maybe and have you back on the show. But it's uh, it's an extraordinary book that I made a decision in 2020 that I was going to write. I'd never written that kind of book before, but it almost had a life of its own. It really did. It It flowed to and through me, and it was so much fun writing it. It was so inspiring. And when I got to the end, I was just absolutely thrilled beyond words at what I had produced. And I sent it over to Bob Proctor, and uh, he is the character Savvy. That's his. The character is based on him. And he wrote the final letter in the book, which must be read, of course, in order. And he really believes that this book has the power to transform your life in every way. And so I'm very excited about it. It's available online. It's available in Kindle, paperback, hardcover. We've got it in every format. It's available all around the world, and it's uh, doing really, really well. Nice. Let's go back into the archives and tell us a little bit uh, about Your Destiny Switch, the New York Times bestseller. Yeah, Your Destiny Switch was a book that I had been thinking about writing for a while, a number of years, and I had written three books in 2002 and released them, self-published them all, and I had this idea for this other book called Your Destiny Switch, which was really based on how I managed, I noticed the nature and the power of my emotions and how I managed my emotions to attract anything that I desired, and I had created a technique um, many years ago, and so I decided to, to write a book about it. Hay House bought the rights to the book, and it's been translated into 37 languages. And so they they wanted the rights to the book. They paid me for the rights to the book. And when I released it, it immediately, the first week it was released, it made it onto the New York Times bestseller list. The subtitle for Your Destiny Switch is Master Your Key Emotions and Attract the Life of Your Dreams. And the reason is because our emotions are playing a role in everything that we're attracting and or repelling in our life. And so I think it's important everybody understand that the nature and the power of their emotions because no one no one can control how you feel or what you're thinking about. And uh, so I went through a number of different experiences in my life and I used the techniques that are in the book and 
it's been extremely well received and widely received, of course, being translated into so many different languages and making its way on the New York Times bestseller list. And it continues to sell and do really, really well. So another one of my favorite, favorite books of my 19. Nice. Um, so now can we talk a little bit about the demand principle? I know that had like a lot of interesting things in there. Yeah, if you think about like when people want to accomplish something, and I have found that I, I've been in the study of personal development since January 1979. That's when I met Bob Proctor. And one of the, the early concepts that I learned from him was to set a goal, like set a goal and achieve a goal. And at the at that point, I had never set a goal, at least not consciously, and worked to, toward a goal. So I you know, started setting goals um, way back when. But I've realized that if you don't actually believe that you're going to accomplish it, and if you don't ask for what you want in a way that you really have the conviction and the knowing that it's already here, you're going to struggle or may not even get there, get to where you want to go. So the Demand Principle became another book, and the idea was inspired from reading some of Napoleon Hill's works. And Napoleon Hill is the author of Think and Grow Rich, as you know, and he had said that that uh, no more effort is required to aim high in life, to demand abundance and prosperity than there is to accept misery and poverty. And I remember when I read that, and I was thinking, wow, that word demand really stands out. You know, really, it really feels a lot different when you demand something versus just simply ask for it or wish or hope that something's going to come your way. And there was another quote that Napoleon Hill had in Think and Grow Rich that said, riches when they come in huge quantities are never the result of hard work. Riches come in response to definite demands based upon the application of definite principles and not by chance or luck. And so this really invited me to dig into this a little bit deeper and to look, you know, look at what does the word demand really mean? The word demand means in the dictionary definition is that it's an insistent and peremptory request made as if by right. And if you want an example of that, think about a baby, you know, who wants something or a child that wants something. They're they're just going to ask or demand it until they get it. Or we have a couple little doggies in our home and we have treats that we give them from time to time. But one of our little doggies, a little little female dog named Bella, if she wants a treat, she just comes, you know, sauntering into my office and sits there looking at me and uh, demanding, you know, a treat. And she's not going away until she gets one. And if she's not getting one, you know, even if I get up and go walk somewhere or go somewhere, she just follows me and then I'll sit down. She'll start whimpering. I mean, she just doesn't give up. So if you think about the di- the dictionary definition, an insistent and peremptory request made as if by right, that's what a demand is. That you can demand what it is that you want in your life, but not in an aggressive way or an obnoxious way, but in a certain way, like certainty, where you, if you think about the law of assumption, the law of assumption obviously is what it says. It assumes, or you're assuming that something is already done in your life. And that really is what the demand principle was based on. 
is it helps people understand, especially those that have been in the personal development industry or studying personal development or those that have a desire to create success, just helps them understand how to be more effective with your goal achievement. Nicely stated. The next question I have for myself and the audience is, please talk to us about self-image, what it is from your perspective and your 40-plus years of experience. Self-image? Yeah, self-image is essentially how we feel about ourselves. Like when, when I first began my journey into personal development 42 years ago, um, I had a self-image, but it wasn't a good one. It was a destructive one. It was a, it was, um, it was a negative self-image. I didn't really believe in myself, and I certainly didn't believe in my ability to accomplish anything. But I realized very early in the study that if you want to do something, and especially if you want to do something great, you've got to really believe in yourself. And that doesn't just apply for a goal. You you believe in yourself, and you're going to find that everything in your life is going to go so much better, from your relationships to your career to your business to anything that you're doing when you when you believe in yourself. So I think that you know self image and building a strong sense of self confidence is something that everybody should really be focusing on, because uh, if they do, it can definitely serve them in wonderful ways. So self-image is really just how do you feel about yourself. I remember back in the 80s, I started to study some of Louise Hayes' work. And Louise was, um, you know, in her early years, she worked a lot with cancer patients and AIDS patients. But what I really liked about the work that she was doing is she invited people to do mirror work, where you actually look at yourself in the mirror and you say positive things, but you really mean it. Like you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I love you. And for me, I don't know about you or anyone listening in the audience, the the idea that, you know, I'm going to look at my, myself in the mirror and say, I love you, felt very uncomfortable. But I decided to do it anyway because I, I knew that the discomfort was simply from the old belief system that I had within me. So I started doing mirror work back in the 1980s. And I found that if you look at yourself in the mirror and you're declaring anything, like saying affirmations, whether you're saying I love you or or saying I believe in you or saying something like, you know, you're doing great things in this world or whatever whatever it happens to be, that you will start to believe it. Because the truth is that when you hear something over and over and over again, you will start to believe it. You will start to believe it, especially if you have the desire to believe it. And when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're doing it for a reason. You're doing it because you want to improve your confidence. You want to improve how you feel about yourself. So um, I find it to be one of the most important subject areas ever. As a matter of fact, I'm co-creating a program called the Confidence Marathon with my daughter-in-law. It's not out yet. Um, We have pretty much the majority of the content done. We're just getting it all organized behind the scenes, but we're going to be launching that to the world. And it's really designed, it's called the Confidence Marathon because we've designed it in a way that it's 26 days. You focus 26 days on improving how you feel about yourself. Wow. That's going to be something to look for right there. Yeah, I think Um, so. The next thing I would like to ask about is please talk to us about paradigms, what they are, and how do you overcome them? 
Yeah, paradigms are our belief systems. They're they're really a set of belief systems that we have within us that are controlling everything in our life, from our thoughts to our words to how we feel to our habits to our actions to our behavior. And, of course, they're all evidence in our results. So if you want to know what someone's paradigms are like, just look at their results. It's, you know, very, very easy to understand. So my journey into discovering even what a paradigm was was when I met Bob Proctor 42 years ago and began this this very in-depth study of personal development. But what I found is that paradigms are really, they can be your best friend, they can be your worst enemy. So if you have good paradigms, like strong paradigms, then great, they're going to be your best friend. But if you have negative, destructive paradigms, they're going to, they're going to uh, be like the little Tasmanian devil and destroy everything in its path. And so when I was, you know, when I was young and before I even got into these materials, I had very negative, destructive paradigms. And some of those paradigms, my beliefs that I had were paradigms that, you know, life was miserable that it wasn't even worth living, that I wasn't lovable, that success was reserved for other people. I mean, just all kinds of uh, all kinds of nonsense. But in order to change those, they must be replaced. And it's not essential that you take a magnifying glass and you try and figure out what your negative or destructive paradigms are. What's more essential is, here's what I suggest that people do, is think about what you would love. Whatever that is, it could be anything, and and don't allow the way you're going to accomplish it to influence you in thinking of what you would love. And let's say it's more money, finances. You'd love to have more money in your life. So you declare to, and this would be a demand, actually. You could demand, you know, I'm so happy and grateful now that I have, you know, X dollars in my bank account, or I'm so happy and grateful now that I'm earning a certain amount of money, or you could say I'm so happy and grateful now that, my personal net worth is, I mean, there's a variety of ways you can you can set financial goals. And so once you establish that goal, whatever it is, and of course we can manifest anything that we desire to manifest, and you mentioned that in the introduction. And so once you've established what the goal is, then, then you need to figure out, well, what do I need to believe? That's the paradigm, right? What do I need to believe in order to have this in my life? And what you need to believe might be a direct opposite belief of what you're currently believing, or it could be just something new. So, for example, and because I've worked with people for many, many years now, I've seen common, you know, the same common paradigms come up. Uh, One of them is they don't think they're worthy of it, or they think that it's just not available. In other words, there isn't abundance in the universe, which there is or they just feel like they're meant to struggle. And, of course, none of those paradigms would help anyone succeed. So if they're thinking about the kind of money that they'd love to have, then you think, well, what do I need to believe? Well, I need to believe it's possible. I need to believe it's possible for me. I need to believe I deserve it. I'm worthy of it. I need to believe that there's an abundance in the universe. I need to believe that it's already done. Like those are the kinds of things that you need to believe in order to experience it. But just sitting there and saying those words or even writing them down or whatever is not going to create an instant belief or a paradigm within you. It must be impressed into your subconscious mind. And that occurs through space-time repetition. 
You've got to be saying these things or hearing these things over and over and over and over again until it becomes part of your consciousness, until you believe it so much that it's in your DNA almost. It's just like something that you just know to be true. But you only know it to be true because you've embedded it through space-time repetition into your subconscious mind. So that's you know, that's what paradigms are, and that's how they play a role in our life. Like I remember years ago, yeah, I like I've uh, I've always been attracted to earning money, and I love earning money. Even as a kid, I was earning money, and I knew it was possible for me. So that w- that was not one of my paradigms that I really had to overcome. But I did have a paradigm for a long time that I wasn't worthy of love. And when you when you believe that you're not worthy of love, what happens is you may attract relationships into your life, but they're never going to sustain. They're never going to be around for a long period of time, at least not in a healthy way. So after a number of years, you know, going through my teens and then into my 20s and going from relationship to relationship, and then I got married and my marriage ended in divorce, and I realized, okay, there's a pattern here. There's something that's going on that's producing undesirable results, and I need to understand it so that I can fix it. And so I realized, okay, what I'd love is to have a happy, healthy, wonderful, fulfilling relationship. Okay, what do I need to believe in order to have that? And that's when I had the reality of the belief system that I previously had, which was I didn't believe I was worthy of love. So when I when I made the decision that, you know, enough is enough, you know, I'm going to turn this around, I created a new paradigm. And that new paradigm was I'm worthy of love. And I am enjoying a wonderful, loving, committed relationship with my significant other. Now, that took time to build. You know, it had been up to that point, I think it was around 33 or 34 years of another paradigm that had been, you know, r- firmly embedded into my subconscious mind. So I had to change it. So it took a while. It took a while through space-time repetition of doing affirmations, of listening to myself, talk to myself over and over and over again until I got to the point of I believed it and then I attracted my wonderful husband into my life. And he's here now and we've been together now 16 wonderful years. Very well stated. The next question I would like to ask about is would you please talk to us about imagination and visualization? <laughs> sure. Well, imagination is a mental faculty that we all have. Everyone has it. Some people don't use it as effectively as, as others. And kids have wonderful imagination, but in school they're taught stop daydreaming. And so imagination is, uh, it, and it's also, it's also the way to manifest things in your life. You, um, as you know, I love studying Neville Goddard's material, and um, and I love teaching as well. I love teaching these materials to other people. And I remember one time, many years ago, reading something of Neville Goddard's, and it was essentially he was talking about how to manifest, like how to manifest things in your life. And his answer to how to manifest is with your imagination. You just simply use your imagination. Now, I do a lot of seminars. I do a lot of live events. And well, right now, the live events are all happening online. And so quite often, what I'll do when I'm working with my clients is I'll say to them, okay, just think about one thing you'd love. Think about something you'd love. What, what would that be? I mean, if you could have, do, be, anything, what would that be? 
And immediately, where do they go? They go to their imagination. That's where they go. They go to their imagination. And so from their imagination, they pull out an idea. So let's say, okay, they'd love to be earning $10 million a year. I'll just pull a number out of the air. Okay, so this is what I'll ask them to do. I'll say, okay, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to just think about that. Think about that you're earning $10 million a year or whatever. And in, in this case, I've got lots of different people, lots of different goals. So I'll say to them, I want you to just just to imagine that you are or you have accomplished that goal. Okay, so think of a scene that you can create that's vividly real that would depict that scenario. So if you're earning that kind of money, in this case, we'll use this as an example, if you're earning that kind of money, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's happening? Like, just give me a scene. And in that case, it might be somebody buying their dream home. Maybe they're buying their dream car. I don't know, like something. So they'll think, okay, I'm going to be buying my dream home on the water. So what are they seeing? They're seeing, okay, well, I'm going to go. I'm going to go, like, look up online, find the listings, and I'm going to go find a home. And I'm going to, you know, find the perfect home. I'm going to buy it, and then I'm going to move in and be waking up every day where I turn my head and I look out and I see the ocean or I can hear the splash of the waves against the shore. And so all of that, like any time I'm doing any kind of exercise like that, they're using their imagination. They're just tapping into their imagination. And when we take it further, like really allow the pictures to become clear in our mind, you're visualizing. So, you know, if you... Even, I mean, we're only talking about this for a few minutes here, but even if you just for a moment went in your mind to a home that's beside the ocean and you imagine that you've got the spectacular view, maybe you have the sunset as well in front of you and you're seeing the waves, you know, crash against the shore or at night when you're laying down, you just open the window just so you can hear the waves crash against the shore what you're doing is you're you're doing it in your imagination. You didn't leave. You didn't go anywhere. You haven't left your chair. You haven't left the building. You're just in the same place you were, but your imagination went for a ride. And it's your imagination that allows you to visualize. And so with the visualization as a function, what it, what you can do is you can visualize just by conjuring up something in your mind or you could visualize by getting pictures that you can put on a vision board or you can put it into a manifestation movie. That's something that, that I have as well where you'll create an even greater picture of it. Or you could do something like, and I've done this before too, where I've gone to see properties and decided to buy it and then had the realtor take a photo of me in it so that it anchors it in even deeper in the imagination um, with a visualization tool. Or I remember many years ago when Jaguar had come out with this new cute little convertible two-seater car and I saw a commercial on TV and I was like, oh my goodness, i got to go get one of those and drove to the dealership and took a photo of me in the car. And then that became a visualization tool and I ended up buying one. And so uh, that's how you use your imagination and visualization. They're, they're tools that I believe can be used to manifest effectively. Nicely stated. Thank you. The next, the next question I want to ask you about is: um, Will you share with us, like, what you gather from the Edinburgh lectures? Oh, I didn't read them. I don't. That's any Thomas Troward stuff hurts my head. I mean, it really does. Oh, okay. I am. 
I think Thomas Troward was a, a brilliant, a brilliant philosopher, and um, you know his materials are are great. I love when Bob Proctor teaches anything of Thomas Troward because he he delivers it in a way that just you know understands it better. But I've never read the Edinburgh lectures, and and frankly, I don't really want to. I don't understand his work. It's just it's just head hurting material to me. Okay. What were your key takeaways um, from Think and Grow Rich? Key takeaways from Think and Grow Rich. Well, you know, that that book has changed so many people's lives. I remember Bob and I were doing a seminar. Bob Proctor and I were doing a seminar together, and he turned to me and he asked me, he says, how many millionaires do you think Napoleon Hill's book has made? It's like, I have no idea. I mean, I really don't. I know there's been millions of copies sold, but how many millionaires? Not a clue. But the thing is that what's valuable in Think and Grow Rich is that Napoleon Hill made a decision to study all of these successful people, these people that had gone on to create extraordinary results in their life. And, you know, many of them came from nothing. You know, they just, again, it's like uh, use their imagination. Um, Thomas Edison, you know, as an example. And and there was... uh, there's a story that apparently Thomas Edison, when he was in school, the teachers felt that he couldn't learn, like he didn't have the capacity to learn. And so they wrote a note to his mom and sent him home and said, you know, we just can't teach your son. I'm sorry, like you're on your own type of thing. And she, and when Thomas got home, you know, he handed the letter to his mom and, and she looked at it and, of course, she was shocked, but she said to Thomas, because he said, well, what does it say? And she said, well, it says that you're so smart, you're far, you know, you far exceed the intelligence of the other kids in school, so you'd be better off to be homeschooled. That's what she told him. And, of course, he believed it. Now, obviously, he had a very positive mom, (laughs) which is a, a blessing for sure. But the fact is that, you know, he, he chose to believe something different, and thanks to his mom. So what I love about Think and Grow Rich is that Napoleon Hill highlighted all these many successful people that had created extraordinary results, and many of them just out of nothing, when they had you know things that were going against them. But I think what people remember most in uh, in books quite often are the stories. And one of the stories in Think and Grow Rich is the story about three feet from gold. And uh, this is a story about a uh, gentleman who had bought a piece of land who really felt that it had the potential to be a place where they could mine for gold. And and so this gentleman started mining, and he really didn't know what he was doing, but wasn't getting anywhere, wasn't getting anywhere. And then finally, out of frustration, he just decided to sell the equipment that he had bought for mining and sell the property, and he sold it to a, a, a junkyard dealer who lived down the road or something. And, and so this junkyard dealer also believed there was going to be gold in this property, and instead of doing the mining himself, he hired the professionals who knew what they were doing. And there's a lot of lessons in this story, not only about, you know, giving up, but, you know, about finding the right people who can help you. And so the new owner found the right people who could help him, and they they started mining, and they determined that the previous owner had stopped three feet from the biggest gold vein in the history of the world. And so that's a great story out of Think and Grow Rich that's shared um, and has been shared 
over and over again that really inspires people to never give up. That you never know, you could be just three feet from gold and you're going to accomplish great things. But I've also seen instances where chapters, like the the chapter on decision, I was reading a, a client's email before we got on our call together today, and one of my clients was sharing a story of how she just read the chapter on decision with her children. She has, uh, you know, teenage children, but her intention is to help her children to go out in the world and live a wonderful life, so she's been exposing them to all these great materials, and she was saying that she had her children read the chapter on decision over and over again for a month. And uh, so I find, like when we started our interview and I quoted those two quotes by Napoleon Hill that have the word demand in it, and they were just two quotes inside one book that really made a big, big difference to me. And I've seen people try and modernize Think and Grow Rich, you know, because obviously it was written many, many, many years ago, almost almost a century ago now. But the principles for success, I believe, will never change, never change. Um, You can certainly modernize it, and maybe that will help people understand it better. But uh, I think it's a wonderful book and obviously has done exceedingly well for very good reason. It it contains a lot of value, and it really is a... uh, like a recipe for success, if you will. Greatly stated. Tell us about the nuggets and morsels uh, that you gleaned from Bob Proctor's You Were Born Rich. Oh, you were born rich. Well, I love anything that Bob Proctor does. You know, it's a it's a fun story how Bob wrote that book. I, you may have heard the story as well where he wrote the book and he hand-wrote it, like pen and paper, hand-wrote it. And he was in a taxi one day, and and uh, he got out of the taxi, and the taxi left, and he realized that he left his manuscript in the taxi, and the taxi had driven away. He couldn't remember the name of the taxi company. He couldn't remember anything. And anyways, the book was gone, so he rewrote it. But what I like about You Were Born Rich is, number one, the title, because it's true. We're all born rich. You know, many people just don't realize it, and uh, so that's definitely one of the one of the tremendous benefits of uh, you were born rich. But I also like that there's so much uh, value in there. I think that you were born rich is a book that people could you know study study over and over and over and over again to really glean the the great values from there. I love how Bob shares stories of different people, like the. Uh, woman who wanted to have a uh, a recreation room in her home and, and didn't have the money to do it and decided to learn carpentry, and she just did it herself. I mean, there's a woman who just found a way to uh, accomplish it. And uh, so it's it's a fun book. It's a fun read, All lots of great stories, you know, people that Bob has worked with many, many, many years ago. And uh, he wrote it, I think, in 1984 was when he wrote it. So that was obviously a long time ago, you know, 35 years ago now. And it's still timeless wisdom that still uh, people talk about and study and enjoy. And and so I, one of my favorite chapters is the um, razor's edge, you know, just talking about the fine line, right? Like how people aren't willing to go the extra mile or people aren't willing to do the things that will create success. It's like that old adage that goes like this, uh, like successful people 
are willing to do the things that unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. Yes. The next thing that I want to ask about is uh, tell us what it's like to spend time with uh, Bob and Phil because to me that's the perfect picture of iron sharpening iron. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, first of all, they're both really fun guys, like really fun guys. And uh, Bob has a wonderful, playful nature. And not everybody sees it, you know, because they'll see him on stage and he's so serious. You know, he's serious about the materials. And for good reason. I mean, it's very important stuff. It's life-changing stuff. But um, Bob Proctor is, uh, I mean, he's not any different on stage than he is off stage. You know, he's constantly... Uh, lecturing, <laughs> but in a loving way. So you could just be sitting with him having a coffee and uh, say something. And, and uh, if if the language that you're saying is not powerful or, or not creative, he'll, he'll correct you. And he does it very lovingly. Um, but he loves what he does so much. He's so in love with the study, so in love with the, with the materials, and and he just constantly wants to do more, give more, be more. I mean, here he is, 86 years young, and he's just continually bringing more and more value to the world, and he's always focused on that. And uh, just a fun guy to be around. He has a great sense of humor. Um, he's got a beautiful heart. He's the one of the most givingest people I've ever met, ever. Probably the most giving person I've ever met, Bob Proctor. And uh, he really walks the talk. So if we think about what he teaches and the way that he teaches it, and I've seen this, you know, with other people who claim to be success experts, but yet they're out of integrity or they're out of alignment. Not Bob. Bob's always in integrity, always in alignment. He totally believes and lives the materials that he speaks. And uh, at the same time, he's just one heck of a fun, generous, wonderful human being. And so for Savvy Wisdom, you know, that book, and we started talking about that, that book was inspired um, when I was looking at a list of videos that I had to create. So it was October 30th, 2020, and I I opened up my laptop, and I have a team of people that work with me, and one of the ladies had sent me a message saying, oh, you got to do a video on how you wrote your first fiction book. And even though I teach authors how to write their books, fiction or nonfiction, and I've studied, you know, writing, and I wrote 18 nonfiction books. I had never personally written a fiction book, so I decided I'm going to write a fiction book and I'm going to write a great book. So I wrote Savvy Wisdom and it was based on my life, my journey and meeting Bob Proctor and he's savvy in the book. And when I got to the end, like when I finished writing it, I thought, oh, I'd really love Bob to write the final letter from Savvy to Sophie in the book. And so I reached out to him, and he said, absolutely, I'd love to. And he read the book that night. He fell in love with it, and he you know, wrote the letter. It was incredible. And then Audible.com bought the rights to the audio book, and so I sent Bob a message. I said, Bob, I'd like to come to your studio and record the audio version of Savvy Wisdom with you. And he said, absolutely, let's do it. And so I went there on December 19th, which is also my birthday, and and I got there, and he had a letter um, or an envelope uh, on his desk, and it said to Sophie from Savvy. So in the book, my name is Sophie, and in the book, his name is Savvy. So it was so cute, you know, to see to see this card 
this birthday card from him, and then we recorded the book together, which was amazing. And we just had such a great time, like a absolutely amazing time together. And uh, and he's just so in love with the book and so in love with the story, and and he's constantly sending me messages and sending copies to celebrities, etc. And so he's just a really amazing person to be around. And I just love being with him and investing time with him. And Phil, pretty much the same. You know, when I met Phil, Phil's a, a quiet guy, and he's kind of shy to some degree. But similar to Bob, he's no nonsense, you know, in a good way, you know, meaning that he's very, very focused, a very focused individual. And so I met Phil when he came to one of my events. I was doing an event called Making a Million Look Small, and he attended it. And that's when I first met him. And so because he's such a serious student, um, we became friends because there's a lot of people who go to these events or they're there, but they're they're not really living it, and Phil is, and so am I. So we are sort of drawn to each other to... Uh, to you know, become friends first, and now we co-deliver programs together. Getting into Hollywood is a program that we did together, and of course, Phil is in Hollywood. It's his business, and and he helps people to break into Hollywood, and I do all the mindset stuff. And we just finished doing an event called Masters Manifesting, and that was uh, hugely successful. And and so, uh, but Phil is. Uh, you know, he's a serious student and, you know, obviously into these materials, the personal development materials, but he's a heck of a lot of fun as well. Really fun guy. And I liked how when you started your show today and you were talking about fun, I think that was one of the first words that you said is that your show is designed to be fun. And that put a big smile on my face because I really think fun is something everybody should be having and is a very important part of life. And I know that Bob Proctor and Phil Goldfein believe that too. So they're both really amazing people. Definitely walk the talk of what uh, what they speak and teach, and they're both really fun guys. Awesome. Yeah, nothing makes me feel like how I feel when I'm on this show. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think it's important to have fun in life because life life's too short, right? And if you're not having fun, what's the alternative? Right. The next question I would like to ask is, um, please tell us um, some of the wisdom that you've gleaned from some of your favorite books by Joseph Murphy, Dr. Joseph Murphy. Joseph Murphy. Oh, he's awesome. I love Dr. Joseph Murphy. I I started studying him back in the 80s. And one of my favorite books of Dr. Joseph Murphy is a book called Master Key to Wealth. And uh, one of the things that really stood out for me in that book was he said that if you're thinking a negative thought or you think a negative thought, reverse it. And he said, if you think a negative thought 150 times a day, reverse it 150 times a day. And so I love the way he writes and, and explains things and helps people understand. Dr. Joseph Murphy, I find, especially in the power of the subconscious mind, he talks a lot about um, affirmations, self-talk, you know, things like that. He was a big proponent for that, you know, would would uh, encourage people to get involved with affirmations and and um, would, would even give you a specific, like he even offers specific ways 
that people can either turn their life around or maybe an area in their life and things like that. So I love uh, I love his simplistic approach. I love that he's a big uh, fan of affirmations, and I pretty much have found that in any of his books. I also love that Dr. Joseph Murphy wrote about prosperity because I, I love prosperity. I love prosperity teachings. I love teaching it myself, money consciousness, wealth consciousness, and that's something that I really um, find that with Dr. Joseph Murphy. He, he also had a great understanding of that. Like he's written books like uh, Master Key to Wealth, The Power of the Subconscious Mind, How to Attract Money. I mean, they're just some of my favorites. I think I have pretty much every book he ever did on my bookshelves. Wow. And then the last question that I want to ask you about is the humdinger. Um, tell us the wisdom and knowledge that you glean uh, from some of your favorite books by Nova Goddard. I know you mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, like books from Feeling is the Secret. I know you love The Law and the Promise, yeah. uh, The Power of Awareness and Resurrection. So kind yeah, of tell you know, us about. Sure. Well, one of the one of the things that I, I've been asked before, I was doing an interview and someone said to me, if you were being sent to a, an island, a deserted island, and you could only bring one book, just one book, which one would you bring? It's definitely going to be Neville Goddard's book. It's absolutely going to be Neville Goddard's book because I just love his books so much. And Feeling is the Secret is my favorite of them all. And he even talks in the very beginning of this book, he said, this is a clearly defined road to the realization of your dreams. And what I love about his his book, this book, Feeling is the Secret, is that it's short. You know, short, concise to the point. You could probably read it in, a, you know, maybe under an hour. It's really, really quick. It's a quick read. I think it's around 47 pages, something like that. But if you took a copy of my, like if you got my version of uh, Filling is a Secret, you're going to find it highlighted, underlined, dog-eared, you know, all over the place. And the secret um, feeling is a secret. The secret to what's in this book is in the title. And even if you never opened a page and you just thought about what is he saying, feeling is the secret. Feeling is the secret to anything, like whatever it is that you want to desire. Um, he says in here on page 20, he says, there's nothing impossible to man. Whatever the mind of man can conceive and feel as true the subconscious can and must objectify. So he says it a little differently to the way that Napoleon Hill says it, because Napoleon Hill says whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe he will achieve. This is a little different. And this is why I like it so much, because he's really talking about our emotions. And of course, your destiny switch, which we talked about earlier, is about our emotions. So whatever the mind of man can conceive and feel as true. So the feel as true part is your paradigms. You've got to believe it. And if you don't believe it, then you've got to anchor it in. You've got to put it in through space-time repetition. And then he says the subconscious, and our subconscious mind is significantly more powerful than our conscious mind. It says it can and must objectify. So it's going to, it never fails. It is going to manifest it into physical form. And so um, feeling as a secret is just jam-packed, loaded with huge value that I think everybody should have that book. I mean, if you only want to have one book in personal development, I'd get uh, 
savvy wisdom, and then after that, I get feeling is the secret. <laughs> awesome, awesome. As the show draws to a close, I, I wrote a poetry book for uh, my daughter. Her birthday is Thursday, so I'm oh, going to close awesome. with uh, so two poems and then a reading. So this poem is titled "Negative Emotions." I was hard-headed and would not follow, only desired to lead. I was confused and discombobulated, didn't know who or what to believe. I remember when I was broke and desired to do what Jesus did and speak to the trees, but I was wearing the wrong emotions on my sleeves. But it is my fault, definitely my fault, for not spending enough time on my knees and choosing not to only believe. Been through so much financial pain, it felt like it was hard, I mean impossible, to even breathe. It is my fault for siding with old conditioning instead of choosing only to believe. I ask for forgiveness, my Lord, for not spending more time on my knees. When will I finally express my confidence with action and achieve? Why not change my neural pathways intentionally with habitual thought patterns and finally receive? Everything is right here, right now. What I mean is the money was always here for me to retrieve once I personally believed. I've seen myself obliterate all those drought days with an abundance of rainy days, and I'm raining like a king. I king the dream today, and I have taken away my own financial pain away. Since becoming a poet, I'm living wealthy. Now I have my own money trees. All I had to do was make a decision and choose to only believe because lives were at stake and trillions were ready and available for me to receive. The next poem is called Wealth and Riches. Humble beginnings, snotty-nosed, red-haired little kid from Suna Haven. I went from poverty to having plenty, from having plenty to living prosperously, from living prosperously to living luxury, from living luxury to living lavishly, from living lavishly to living abundantly, from living abundantly to living richly, from living richly to living wealthy, from living wealthy to living opulently, from Oklahoma to Mississippi, you can't stop me, from Seattle to Chicago, you can't stop me. From California to Miami, you can't stop me. From Hotlanta to New York, you can't stop me. I went from a Timex to a Rolex, from a Grand Prix to a Maserati, from a Taurus to a Lamborghini, from a Chrysler to a Bentley, from flying coach to flying private jetly, from apartment living to a mansion in a gated community, from Suna Haven to living heavenly. Now I close with this treatment. I now subconsciously accept this treatment, treatment for money. I now subconsciously accept this treatment, treatment for money. There is only one creative cause, God. There is only one mind, God. There is only one life, God. There is only one substance, God. This present universe is the glory of God. It is a moving, flexible, fluidic creation. It is alive with the life, the abundance, and the richness of God. I abide in prosperity. Mind created me in order that it might act through me. Therefore, I am receptive to its abundance. I am receptive to its circulation in my life in the form of money. Money is God's idea of circulation in my world of finance. I accept this idea completely. I appreciate this idea. I like it. Money being God in action is absolute good. It is wholesome. It is a blessing to man, and I am now prosper with it. I believe that I have plenty of money now. It is God's activity in my world. It is God's activity in my bank account. It is God's activity in my investments. It is God's activity in everything to which I lay my hands. This money is flowing. This money is free. I do not attempt to lock it up. I do not put a fence around it. It is God's money. I let it flow in and I let it flow out. As I release it, I know that it comes back to me, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am now free in money. 
I rejoice in it. I appreciate it. I thank God for it. I have money forevermore. Amen. Discover the power of positivity. Identify your gifts. Then plan and execute your passion. And ultimately, thrive exponentially in life and most importantly in business on Sudden Eye Impact with your host, with your host, Lee, Lee, Lee.